If you're a follower of Jesus, there's some really good news for you. Here's Pastor Trent Griffith. You're going to end up where God wants you to end up. And where does he want you to end up? Conformed to the image of his son. So every day, God is chipping away at me everything that does not look like Jesus. And he's doing the same for you. Welcome to Resonate with Trent Griffith, Senior Pastor of Harvest Bible Chapel in Granger, Indiana. I'm Aaron Paulus. Last week, Trent began helping us understand a biblical perspective on who we are as human beings and why we exist. When something is functioning according to the purpose for which it was designed, everything runs smoothly. It's the same with us. God designed us to reflect His glory to the rest of the world, but His image in us is pretty messed up by sin. I'm really glad you could join us today for part two of this message. Let's listen in as Pastor Trent teaches from God's Word on how we should rightly view ourselves and God. Every pathological error that we have as human beings is the result of thinking too high of ourselves or too low. John Stott wrote a book called The Cross of Christ, which should be required reading for everybody in this church. And in it, he tried to help us with this balance. This is what he said. He said, what we are, our self or personal identity, is partly the result of creation, that's the image of God, and partly the result of the fall, that's when the mirror broke. That's the image defaced. And so he says, the self we are to deny, to disown, and to crucify is our fallen self. And everything within us that is incompatible with Jesus Christ. And he lists some of those. He says, we must deny or repudiate our irrationality, our moral perversity, our blurring of sexual distinctions, and lack of sexual self-control. The selfishness which spoils our family life and our fascination with the ugly, our lazy refusal to develop God's gifts, our pollution and spoilation of the environment, our proud autonomy, and our idolatrous refusal to worship the living and true God. All this and more is part of our fallen humanness. Christ came not to redeem this, but to destroy it. So we must strenuously deny and repudiate it. But then he flips the coin and he says there's self-denial, but there's also self-affirmation. And he says the self we are to affirm and value is our created self. Everything within us that is compatible with Jesus Christ. What's that? It is our rationality, our sense of moral obligation, our sexuality, whether masculinity or femininity, our family life, our gifts, our aesthetic appreciation and our artistic creativity, our stewardship of the fruitful earth, our hunger for love and experience of community, our awareness of the transcendent majesty of God and our inbuilt urge to bow down and worship him. All this and more is part of our created humanness. True, it has been tainted and twisted by sin, yet Christ came to redeem it, not destroy it, so we must gratefully and positively it. So we're created in the image of God and we are here to mirror God's image. Here's the second point. I mirror God's image 
when I embrace my complementary gender identity. Now, back in Genesis 1, 27, we saw that God put a little commentary on the last part of what he had done. He says, I, he made man in his image, and in his likeness. He made them in his image, and then he put a little parenthetical statement there, male and female. He created them. There is something about the male gender and the female gender complementing one another in community, in relationship, that mirrors the diversity and the unity of God. Remember that little plural pronoun, us? Remember that plural pronoun, our? Who's that talking about? I thought I was talking about God. And there's only one God, right? Yes, there's one God. And within the Godhead, there are three persons. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. We're not going to go into the doctrine of the Trinity. We're going to do that later, but we need to understand the pronoun, right? So God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are equal, correct? Are they the same? No, they are not. Male and female, they are equal, correct? Correct. Are they the same? No, they are not. Wives, look at your husband. Tell him, you are not the same. It is obvious. We are not the same, right? There is something about male and female complementing one another in relationship that reflects and mirrors the image of God in a way that a male by himself and a, and a female by himself cannot do. Now, that doesn't mean that if you're not married, you can't reflect the image of God. That doesn't mean that at all. But it does mean that there is something about the created order of family and marriage that God has done intentionally and purposely to reflect his image to the world. You see, I must allow my theology to drive my biology. A couple of weeks ago, our staff took a, a day and uh, we, we went over to Chicago and we wanted to have a staff retreat. It was kind of a personal growth day and a team building thing. And, and we had a guy come in and we just talked about how we relate together as a staff. It's a wonderful day. And at the end of the day, we actually went and we rented these segways. Do you know what a segway is? And we, we rode it all through Grant Park and everything. We we're having a blast. And we stopped for a break and there was a guy that came up and he had a pole and he had one of those big fuzzy microphones on the end of it. And he said to me, he said, I'm from a local radio station and I was doing man on the street interviews and I was wondering if I could ask you a question. I said, okay. He said, uh, here's the question, just, just off the top of your head, just answer this question. Can a person be gay and Christian? Go. <laughs> well, I've given some thought to that. And um, I had a few things to say. I said, well, it depends on what you mean by gay, and it depends on what you mean by Christian. If by, if by gay you mean, can you bring your sexual brokenness to Jesus and ask him to conform your thoughts to his thoughts about sexuality and gender, then, yeah, the answer is yes. But if you mean, can I choose my gender identity other than what God has assigned to me biologically, then the answer is, is no. Um, you see, 
The reason why people are asking that question is because it is the hottest topic in society right now. Um, in June, uh, Time Magazine cover story was this, the transgender tipping point. And it says, this is America's next civil rights frontier. And I, I read the article and, and I wanted to understand um, what, what it was talking about. This, these are some of the things it says. It says, transgender people, those who identify with a gender other than the sex they were assigned at birth, are emerging from the margins to fight for an equal place in society. And I, I, just, I read that and I'm like, well, who, do you, who are you saying there was an assignment? If somebody made the assignment, then there must be a body that, so who would that be? It goes on to say, a new California law allows K through 12, uh, 12th graders to use bathrooms and play on sports teams that align with their chosen gender identity regardless of their sex at birth. At least a dozen other states have instituted policies that allow students to play on school sports teams that align with their chosen gender identity. Last year, Facebook broadened its options for gender beyond male and female. Users suddenly had some 50 categories to choose from. It must not have been enough because now you just go there, you can choose male, female, or custom and put in your own gender or make one up if it doesn't exist. It says, no matter their autonomy, transgender people want to live and to be identified according to how they feel. To be able to dress and to be treated like a woman or a man regardless of what their parents or delivering nurses may have assumed at birth. In 1980, seven years after homosexuality was removed from the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders, transsexualism was added. Eventually, that entry was replaced by what psychiatrists called gender identity disorder. And in 2013, that diagnosis was, was superseded by gender dysphoria. Gender identity disorder implied that your identity is wrong and that you are wrong says Dr. Green, and he goes on to say, gender dysphoria is defined as discomfort with the gender a person is living in. For many people, the body they were born in is a suffocating costume that they are unable to take off. And in order to understand, we must view sex and gender as two separate concepts. Sex is biological, determined by a baby's birth anatomy. Gender is cultural, a set of behaviors learned through human interaction. The way we think, the way we think, the way we think. So what are we saying with a doctor and man? Well, first of all, I... I, I, I I understand completely there are people in this room right now that are struggling with that. And you have come to the right place. Thank you for coming. And, and, and our goal is to help you think what God thinks about you. And a lot of the discomfort of wearing the costume comes not from the culture, but it comes from wrong thinking. We said the way that, that, we, that we act is determined by the way that we feel, and the way that we feel is determined by the way that we think. And so we, if we want to change what we are doing and what we are feeling, we have to change what we are thinking, which means I must allow my theology, what I think about God, and what I think God thinks about me to drive my biology. So there's a lot of reasons why people would be struggling with that. And most of it is because 
um, we, we are believing something that was stamped upon us, maybe by somebody that abused us or somebody that exposed us to something, and it begins to program and think, we, we begin to think a certain way. And those are real thoughts. Those are real feelings. Uh, one of the things that I said in that radio interview is, is um, you know, people that say, I, I was born this way or I, I have this orientation, a different sexual orientation, I'm, I'm like, I get that because here's the thing. I'm a proud heterosexual man, but I have an orientation to want to satisfy myself sexually outside the boundaries of one woman for one lifetime. So what prevents me from going beyond that boundary and following my orientation? Thinking. I, I think about her and I think about the chaos that is created when you use something for a purpose for which it was not intended and it keeps me on the right side of the boundary, right? So somebody that has an or here's the thing, we're all disoriented away from God. Every one of us are a broken mirror. So my heterosexual sin is no worse than somebody else's homosexual sin or transgender sin. We're all broken mirrors that need to be fixed. What needs to be fixed? Our thinking. And that means that I have to think right thoughts. My theology must drive my biology. So if you're here today and you are somebody in, in that situation or you love somebody in that situation and all of us at some point are going to have that conversation with somebody that we love, the most loving thing that we can do is speak truth and to bring them around to God's way of thinking. One of the things that struck me about the article was they wanted us to distinguish between a person's biological anatomy and their, um, their, their immaterial thinking, right? And what they're saying is it's possible that God might have made somebody biologically male and put a female soul in them. That, that's what they're, they're saying. And, and that is not what the scripture teaches at all. So if somebody is having those types of thoughts, we need to bring our thoughts in line with God's thoughts. The problem is, is we believe that it's, it's too hard to change our thinking. I, I wouldn't, if I'm thinking this way, I mean, that would, that, that, would, that would be oppressive for me to think any other way that I'm thinking. I can't change my thinking, so I, to, I know it'll be easier for me to change my body. And so we have a sex change operation for crying out loud, you know? Because that would be easier to change my thinking. The truth is you can change your thinking. God can change your thinking. If you align your thoughts with his thoughts. And so what does that mean for us? That means that we need to learn to become masculine or feminine based on the biology that God assigned us at birth. And it's something that we can learn and think and we can act like a man if we have been made a man. It goes on, it says, I was made to live in the unity and diversity of relationship. Here's the second thought, the second thing, is that I was made to live in community. In Genesis chapter 2 verse 18 says, then the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. How many of you wives would agree with that statement? It is not good for your husband to be left alone. Just tragic things happen and chaos breaks out when, when that, that's true. So God says, it, that this was the perfect man, by the way. This is before sin. And God said, it's, everything was good except one thing, a man by himself. Uh, that's a dangerous thing is what he's saying. And so he needed to make something else in order to fill the gap in the man. And that was a helper fit for him. And the very next verse goes on and talks about how he took a rib from the side of Adam and created Eve a perfect 
helper to the man. Now, you may look at that word, and ladies, you're like, is that all I am as a helper? It's kind of like hamburger helper, you know? It's like, is that what I am? Not at all. The word helper is used of God in Scripture. God was not offended by to call himself a helper. Scripture says in Psalm 121 that we're to lift our eyes to the heavens from where does my help come? From the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. That's a pretty high title. And right alongside of his helper. And so it doesn't demean a woman in any way to be a helper to her husband. And so in Scripture, the part of the doctrine of man are these complementary roles that God has assigned male and female. Now, there are two positions on this topic that theologians fall into two different buckets. The first bucket is called egalitarian. And that would be the position that says men and women are equal and the same. But what we believe here at Harvest is the doctrine of complementarianism, which states that men and women are equal but have complementary roles. And together, when we fulfill those roles, we mirror the image of God in a way that we wouldn't if we just were isolated by ourselves. So here's what we're saying. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3. In case you thought it was a demeaning thing for a man and a woman to relate in an authoritative way, notice what it says. But I want you to understand. He said, I want you to think. I want you to think. I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ. Every man in this room right now. You know who your head is? You know who your boss is? You know who your authority is? You know who you're going to give an answer to? You know who you're going to give an account to? You're going to give an account to Christ one day. He is your leader. He is your provider. And he is your protector. Because the head of every man is Christ. Look at the next part. And the head of a wife is her husband. Every wife? Do you know who your leader is? Do you know who your provider is? Do you know who your protector is? It is your husband. And look at the next part. And the head of Christ is God. Now, ladies, if you bristle a little bit at, at the, the middle statement there, I'm like, I don't, I, don't like, I don't like somebody being head over me. That sounds degrading and demeaning. Look at it. In the third part, does it degrade or demean Jesus Christ in any way for him to submit to the authority of God the Father? No, it does not. Is Jesus, the Son of God, equal with Father God? Yes, he is. Are they the same? No. There is a voluntary submission in the Godhead. And the way we mirror the Godhead in marriage is for the husband to give loving leadership to his wife and for the wife to submit joyfully and with help to her husband. Unity and diversity in the Godhead is on display in a marriage when men provide loving, humble leadership and women respond with joyful, helpful submission. And unity and diversity in the Godhead is distorted in a marriage when men are either passive absent wimps or domineering abusive brutes 
You can miss it on both sides. And if you are a domineering, angry, abusive husband, you are distorting the image of God to your wife and to your children. You're being a stupid bobblehead if you do that. And the same is true if you're absent or passive or run when things get hard. For women, when women are controlling and rebellious or on the flip side, weak and unhelpful, you distort the image of God. And so we believe that God is mirrored when we embrace our gender identity and we say, I am going to be gloriously masculine. And for women, I am going to be gloriously feminine. And together we display the image of God to a world that desperately is confused about their sexuality and their gender identity. If we don't get it right in here, there's no hope for what's going on out there. That's what's at stake. All right, point number three, and we're almost done. I mirror God's image when I represent God's God by standing for life and for justice. We don't have a lot of time on this, but I want to read the verse. Isaiah chapter 1, 16 and 17. He says, wash yourselves, make yourselves clean, remove the evil of your deeds from before my eyes, cease to do evil. So he's calling them to repentance. Their nation was under judgment. God was forsaking them. And he's saying, if you want to get right with God, there's got to be some washing and cleansing. And then he gets really specific about what their sin was. He says, learn to do good, seek justice, correct opposition, bring justice to the fatherless, plead the widow's cause. What is he saying? Because I am made in the image of God, I must love all people of all races, and I must respect and protect all human life, even the weakest, even those who are disadvantaged, even those who are impoverished. That's why we go to places like Liberia. That's why we protect unborn children. That's why we vote pro-life. That's why we don't like our money being spent on health care laws that endanger human life because that's human life that has God's image stamped upon it. That's why we work at pregnancy care centers. That's why we adopt children. That's why we foster children. It's because we see God's image at stake in the weakest, frailest, most vulnerable life, even unborn life. If we understand the doctrine of man. And then finally, last thing, I mirror God's image when I grow in conformity to the image of Jesus. There was one man who did not have a broken mirror. Who was that? Jesus Christ. Jesus was God made man and in the 33 years of his life, he perfectly reflected and displayed and mirrored God's image to the world. And that's why it says in Colossians chapter one, he is the image of the invisible God. Jesus made the invisible God visible. And so what am I to do? I am to follow him as my model. That's why Romans chapter 8 says, God's working on me and God's working on you. Those whom he foreknew, he also predestined. The word predestined means he has a purpose. He knows where it's going. You're going to end up where God wants you to end up. And where does he want you to end up? Conform to the image of his son. 
So every day, God is chipping away at me everything that does not look like Jesus. And he's doing the same for you. And so that attitude you had this week in your home and the way you handled your money and what you did with your sexuality, did that mirror the holiness and the purity and the, the, the sovereignty and the wisdom and the goodness and the love of God? If it didn't, he's got a little more work to do. He's conforming you, he's changing you, and he's changing me. And the great news is this, no matter what you've done and no matter how broken the mirror is, he can renew it. Colossians 3 says, you have put on the new self. Remember the outer self and the inner self? Here's another self, the new self. No matter what the inner self has done and whatever damage you've caused and whatever chaos has been the result of your life because you haven't been using your life for the intended purpose that God had for it, here's the great news. You can have a new self today. He says, which is being renewed. It's like, well, is it, do I get a new one or do I keep getting a new one? Yes. You start with new and every day, a little by little, day by day, we are renewed in the what? Knowledge thinking after the image of its creator. I must be recreated in God's image every day. I must be recreated in God's image every day. Let me close with one more quote from John Stott. He said this, Christians can no longer think of themselves as only created and fallen but rather as created, fallen, and redeemed. We have not only been created in God's image, but recreated in it. So let me ask you a question. Are you a Christian? If you are not a Christian, then you are only created in God's image, and you have fallen, your mirror has been broken, but you have not been redeemed, it's not yet been fixed. Today, you need to think about God as your creator, but you need to respond to God as your re-creator. He can fix your stuff. He can make you the husband that courageously and tenderly leads. He can make you the wife that courageously and sweetly and joyfully submits so that your home can be a reflection of God's glory. You say, that sounds so foreign to me. I could never do that. That's right, you can't. You're a dirty, rotten sinner. But God wants to recreate his image in you. It's a work of God, so what do I do? I respond in faith and I say, Lord, my beer's broken. I've been creating chaos, been living my life apart from the purpose for which you created it. Today, I wanna to bring my thinking in line with who you say I am, and I want you to continue day by day to renew me into the image of Jesus Christ. If that's a prayer you've never prayed, why don't you take a moment right now to talk to God about it? We've been listening to Resonate with Trent Griffith, Senior Pastor of Harvest Bible Chapel in Granger, Indiana. We'd love for you to join us at one of our weekly worship services at Harvest Granger. 
You can just show up on Saturdays at 5 p.m. or Sundays at 9 a.m. or 11 a.m. on Hickory Road, just north of Cleveland Road in Granger, Indiana. For more information, visit our website at harvestgranger.org. Well, exactly who is Jesus and what does the Bible teach about him? Next week on Resonate, Pastor Trent will teach about the doctrine of Christ. I'm Aaron Paulus. Thanks for listening today, and I hope you'll join us again next week at this same time. It's our prayer that God's Word will resonate in your heart this week. Resonate with Trent Griffith is a ministry of Harvest Bible Chapel, Granger.